All right, hello everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of One More Minute. It's me, your host, Monique. I have a very exciting guest for today's episode of Convos with Mo. I have Miss Felicia Pride, TV writer, producer extraordinaire. And if you don't know who she is, get ready because we're going to have a great time today. Felicia Pride is, as I mentioned, a TV writer producer of Really Love and also Queen Sugar. She is laying a blueprint for Black women creatives to broaden storytelling and representation across every single medium from page to screen. Pride is centering diverse Black stories and empowering creatives, sharing her television and film transition strategy along the way. Through her writing career, it began nearly 20 years ago as a cultural journalist before going on to write several books. The Grey's Anatomy writer didn't seriously pursue a career in screenwriting until she moved to Los Angeles at the age of 35. And y'all, within five years, Felicia has gone from creative rut to creative comeback and has been booked and busy ever since. If you're not familiar with Felicia, you might have seen that amazing movie on Netflix called Really Love, produced by Macro, which won a special joy prize at South by Southwest, screened at AFI, and it debuted on Netflix as a top 10 movie last fall. Pride is now developing several projects, including two romantic drama features, Deeper and Like It's the Last, with the incredible Will Packer Productions and Universal Pictures. Since her, since her directorial debut with Tinder, a short film which also won a Lionsgate Award at the Black Star Film Festival and also aired on Stars, the Baltimore native is heavy on the TV scene, developing shows with FX Netflix and is a producer on Grey's Anatomy, where she also writes. Now in more current news, Felicia is developing new projects under her new company name, Honey Child, which seeks to fill the representation void by producing cultural content catered to the full lives of Black women, 40 plus, across every single medium. Her latest project, Child Please, is the first of many releases to come from the newly launched company. And at the tender age of 42, this storyteller feels that she's just getting started optioning books for film, and she is committed to expanding the breadth of stories by, for, and about Black women. So, Felicia, wow. uh, what <laughs> introduction... Thank you for that incredible introduction. I'm like, who's that? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And we're so excited that you're here with us on One More Minute. So, you know, you have such a great career. Um, Just your bio alone is so inspiring. I'm sure you probably impress yourself when you hear it. You're like, oh my gosh, that's me. Um, So I guess the first question I have for you, how did you go from fact to fiction? How did you go from being a journalist to the writer's room? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually just did a... uh... Zoom, and I'll sometimes do these Zooms where I talk about the transition from journalists or those who are journalists who want to transition into screenwriting or writing for the screen because there are definitely a lot of transferable skills. I had some stops along the way from journalists to um, screenwriters. So I started out, as you mentioned, as a cultural journalist, mainly writing about music and books. Um, And then I went back to school because I really was just, I love books so much that I wanted to, in my head, write the great American novel. And I wanted to like also run a small publishing company and publish people's books. And uh, I quickly found out that publishing is a very tough industry for small independent presses. Um, And that, you know, getting publishing deals is not necessarily easy, Uh, but I did sort of commit to becoming an author and I eventually did that and wrote six books. But books came really hard to me. So I actually stopped writing for about seven years, which is probably the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. And I've made many mistakes, trust and believe. But it was so hard to get back to writing after I stopped writing. 
Um, and but when I got back to writing, I was like, okay, books is not my form. I don't want to do journalism and freelance journalists anymore. So I actually started to dabble and self-teach uh, myself screenwriting. I would take whatever local class there was. I was in the DMV area at the time, whatever local class I could find. Uh, I remember going to one class and the teacher was selling hard copy scripts because this was before you could essentially find most scripts online. So I would buy these scripts for way too much money and I would go home and read them and study them. Um, and to the point where I wrote my first feature and was really trying to get it made. And my, uh, my, my mentor at the time, uh, suggested I move to LA. She's like, what do you have to lose? The worst thing that can happen is you move back. I was 35 at the time and I felt like it was my last hurrah in terms of if I don't go for it now, I may never. So I moved to LA with one feature and um, that became really love. And that's kind of how I made the jump was slowly, surely, but then took a big ass plunge. <laughs> so how did like how did you find that courage to like take the leap to move across the country you know, you said you felt like it was your last Sarai at 35. How did you like really just be like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Did you have naysayers in your family? Did you have people? Oh, of course. I mean, not so much in my family, but friends thought I was wild, right? 35, moving to LA to start uh, essentially a new career. Um, but I, I thought about the alternative, right? The alternative was if I didn't try the what ifs that would have been going on in my mind. That was more scary to me than the plunge. Um, and also I just kind of took it one foot in front of the other, that when I think about things that are very overwhelming, I just try to put one foot in front of the other. So when I moved out here, you know, I came out with one screenplay and one client for my consultancy. I was running a marketing, marketing consultancy by then. Um, but then was like, I need to get the job. I need to get stable. Then I'm going to, so I just took it one step at a time. One step. So, you know, I feel like we live in a, in a, a season where, Black women, Black people, we're at the top of the list for everybody when it comes to, you know, movies, TV shows, books, anything that has creative, you know, currency. Black people, we are we are the new big thing. Um, and you've been doing this for a long time. You've been telling stories. You know, you're doing, you know, you're writing as a journalist. You're doing things culturally. Why centering the Black experience, your passion? Um, and why do you think that telling Black stories is not just like a faux pas? It's not just like, a moment. It's like a movement. Yeah, it's definitely not a moment. I mean, it, it feels like a moment for Hollywood and I feel like they're going to eventually move on. Uh, but for me, I feel like I have a God-given gift to tell the stories. And I think it kind of starts with like wanting to tell the stories of my family and people who look like my family and are like my family, uh, people who look like and are like my friends. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of people telling white people's stories. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? that's covered, you know? Um, and I just feel very like I have this gift to tell Black people's stories. And also that's just where my interest lies as well, right? Like in my independent work, I want to see Black people fully realized on screen and I want to see them across all types of things, right? Across abilities, across class, across sexuality, across lifestyle, across lot in life. I want to see it all. I can't do it all, but I can do what I can do. Uh, so that's kind of where my commitment lies. I'm not interested in proving Black humanity to non-Black people. That's not my ministry. I'm interested in allow showing other Black people and showing us ourselves fully realized on screen. How did you realize you had a gift for this particular ministry? Um, you know, I had professors in college 
say things. I had a professor uh, who saw something in my writing. At the time, though, I did not know any writers. The idea of writing as a living, I did not know that that was possible. Um, she had really encouraged me to minor in English. I was like, that sounds like more money and more time, both of which I do not have. <laughs> so I didn't do it. But she planted a seed in me that said, oh, you have something here. You have some sort of flair. Uh, and so luckily, when I got out of school, I found myself very bored working my corporate job. And I you know, try to just try to pursue it in a safe way, right? Like I had a job, but let me see what I can do. So I got an internship on the side and that kind of helped to open me up to see, oh, not only do I have something here that I can continue to strengthen, but also it's something that I enjoy. That's awesome. You know, you never, when you're in the midst of figuring out who you are and where your journey lies, it's so interesting how one person can spark something in you and how your community just like really, is the the springboard to your future and you don't realize it at that time but all it takes is one person to like really just change your life so that's that's really exciting so you you can't take that that kind of stuff for granted um I'm interested to know um what was like the first time you saw yourself on tv you know they've been we've been telling stories about black women forever especially love stories we'll get into really love in just a moment you know really love is just such a phenomenal film and I think it's just so awesome and great it's like a it's like a new story it's modern it it feels good it feels like the story of someone that I know but how when was the first time you saw someone you're like oh my gosh like that's me on tv like when you felt like you were represented um I mean I remember seeing myself and Rudy on a Cosby show because we were the same age and like I knew that she was my age and, you know, so I remember that very well. I remember aspirationally wanting to see myself um, at an HBCU with a different world. I remember seeing myself as Tootie on Facts of Life because at the time I was also around a lot of white people. <laughs> so I definitely remember seeing myself in seeing myself in black girls on television um, and it's interesting because you don't realize the impact that it has on you. Um, but it had a huge impact, huge, huge impact. Yeah. Just being like Rudy play and get in trouble, but, you know, still be a, a girl, you know, um, huge impact. Yeah. I would, you know, that, that's classic television going from like the classroom show to a different world, you know. I'm, I'm obsessed. I was born in the 80s. I'm obsessed with the 90s. So if it's a 90s show, even the 80s, I know all about it. Yeah. And then um, it was like Moesha came around and I was of that of Moesha's age during that time. And, you know, even though it was like California and that was seemed like a different universe away from Baltimore. Um, she was a teenager. She had her friends like, yeah, there were there were some some great representation that I had. Yeah. Now, how do you insert pieces of your life into your work? Like Baltimore is just such an iconic city. It's just like a cultural phenomenon. You think about the accent, the food, the 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 fashion, the wardrobe. How do you insert like those pieces of yourself into all of your projects? Um, it's interesting because I just got back from Baltimore. We shot a proof of concept for my first feature that I want to direct. So mm-hmm. we shot it in Baltimore. It's called Look Back at It. Um, shot at my aunt's house. My mother was location manager. My my uh-huh. was a PA. My homeboy was a PA. My girl, my bestie did uh, hair. Like it was a family affair. And 
you know, it's, it's a short piece, right? It's a proof of concept of a longer piece, but it just was so much of like, I feel like I haven't been able to do, to infuse Baltimore in such a direct way in my work, but I have been able to, what I call like an aesthetic in a way that I move mm-hmm. is very, has a very Baltimore um, feel to it. And I think that came actually through hip hop. I grew up, like for me, my first writers were were MCs and their ability to insert themselves, to insert the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also an extension of that was the hip hop journalists who were covering hip hop, who would assert themselves in their coverage. That was kind of my first school of writing uh, in a lot of ways was like, oh, these hip hop journalists, they're like talking about themselves in, in, a, in a music review. Like mm-hmm. they're inserting the eye. There's a, you know, if you know, you know, there's not a lot of explanation. There's wordplay. There's so a lot of sort of my style and aesthetic came from hip hop. And then the way that I move and the way that I, the aesthetic is from Baltimore. So what about your writing process? How, what goes into that? Do you have like any special rituals? Like do you sit outside on your porch? Do you go to the beach? Do you like watch the sun come up and get started? What what goes into that? I wish it was that sexy. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I do usually have music always playing. Music is probably the one thing that I'll have playing because you have to get to a point where you can write anywhere, right? Like when you are a working writer, it's one thing to be able to like have the space and time to like, lay by the beach but honestly when I'm laying by the beach I want to lay by the beach but um when you become a working writer you have to be able to write anywhere you have to be able to write on set you have to be able to write under deadlines you have to be able to write in your on in your office on the lot real quick some new pages so training that muscle was really important but I do have you know my music is one thing that's important and just the process in itself I had to learn uh in order again to meet really really strict deadlines uh so you know I do uh a lot of pre-writing in terms of beat sheets and outlines and then I try to draft as as quickly as possible so I can get into rewriting so I have a definite process for myself Mm -hmm. um but yeah I I don't have any sexy rituals anymore Uh, it sounds exciting I mean what which the stuff you're producing is great so that makes sense um, so we'll talk about this. We're going to dig into really love and just kind of take the listeners onto a journey about how you got here. And so if you're listening, you're unfamiliar with really love. I'm going to give you a long story short. It's one of my favorite movies. Top five black movies. You all know I love Love Jones, The Photograph. This is up there with that. This is like a top five black. High praise. Huh? High praise. High praise. Yes, it, it it's up there. The, the soundtrack is beautiful. It's beautifully aesthetic as a chocolate woman. I'm saying chocolate people on screen. It's just phenomenal. So long story short, really love is about a rising black painter who tries to break into the competitive art world while balancing an unexpected romance with an ambitious law student. And if you're like me and you love you a chocolate brother, this is the movie for you. We've got Kofi Sirabo, Blair Underwood, Tristan Wiles, Michael Ealy, Tori Nine. I mean, you had a star-studded cast. Tell us about that experience and describe the feeling of debuting your first project. I mean, whoo. That film, it was it was our baby that almost took us out. <laughs> like it was, uh, you know, ten years in the making for me, from like when I first did the first screenplay to selling it. Um, I was able to attach our director Angel Angel Christy Williams probably like year seven, um, and 
we had a vision where we wanted something that was sexy, that was sensual, that felt like love, but mm-hmm. also felt like real life. And that sometimes, and you know, no spoilers, but just like the ups and downs of relationships. Um, but also, you know, I have been an artist who's tried to, you know, who wanted, who wants to date and who has dated. And I've also been Stevie in the film where I've dated artists and realized how consumed they are by the work. So also wanting to explore what it's like to be in a relationship as an artist, what it's like to be in a relationship with an artist. Sometimes Um, I came up as an artist in DC. So wanting to show what I feel like DC is so diverse, like, you know, a chocolate city, but in terms of the diversity of Black people that live in D.C., like wanting to show that, wanting to show a side of the city that was beyond politics. Um, and yet, like, I, I was very naive about the process of getting a film made. I just had a conviction that this had to be made. I felt like we we needed another type of film like this. Um, but there were definitely so, so many challenges, like, uh, tremendous. But I will say, I remember the first day that I walked on set um, and saw all these trucks and all these people. And it was like, whoa, like something that you imagine or comes out of your imagination then becomes real. And people, people at the top of their craft are working on it. Like that feeling was amazing. And then uh, Angel and I uh, had a screening in Baltimore for the film and was able to have family and friends there and to come back to Baltimore after leaving for a thing and mm-hmm. to come back with that thing. Um, it gives me chills. It gives me chills, but that shit was not easy. Let me tell you, <laughs> I never want to take 10 years to make a film again. Uh, so many things, but it, it, yeah. How do you like stop and smell the roses? I think as women, black women, we're always striving for something. That was a goal. Sometimes we don't, um, we don't praise ourselves for the work that we do. How do you stay mindful of like, you know, Felicia, that you dreamt of this, it happened. We are so quick to move to the next thing. How do you bask in your success? Yeah, I mean, I think I want to do more of it because I think so much, there's so much to process. I definitely celebrate. Like for instance, after wrap of look back at it over the past weekend, we then went to Melba's, which, which is a local Baltimore spot, and we danced till two in the morning, and was able to dance to like my my like DJ I grew up on was DJing and like shout me out like it was like a celebration and like we finished this like I try to embed those types of things all the time. I think you need to celebrate the small things. I think for me, I still want to work on processing the the magnitude of certain things from like knowing where I came from on my artistic journey and my professional journey and my personal journey and like where I am now. Um, there's definitely still a lot of processing to be done, but I, I make sure to celebrate. I make sure to celebrate. Yeah. Sometimes you got to stop and smell the roses. Yes. Go ahead and plant something new. Exactly. Um, so the next question I have, we, we kind of talked about really love and I'm curious to know how it kind of catapulted your career. But as I mentioned in your bio, you have all these great projects coming up with Will Packer and Universal Pictures. What are you most looking forward to about that? And movies you have coming out of were deeper and like it's the last. Like, how does that feel? What are you looking forward to? Where you are in that process? Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about deeper. Deeper is an erotic romance. Uh, I feel like we need 
to see Black women um, getting theirs <laughs> on screen from a position of, of, of having agency. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. Um, I have like a project that I have in development at Netflix is um, features for Black women in the gated community in Prince George's County. Oh. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. But, you know, the, the challenge is, is like, you can write these wonderful things, but there's so many factors that go into actually getting them made, right? Or actually getting them onto the screen. Um, so what I also try to do simultaneously is make stuff that I, I'm in control of <laughs> making and releasing. Um, so Honey Child, that's one of the reasons why Honey Child exists. Yes, we operate in the studio space and Hollywood space, but also what can we be making that we know we can release, that we know that we can get to the people. Uh, so we have our Child Please podcast that you mentioned. We're going to have this proof of concept that we're going to be able to release um, and then continuing to look at ways to develop work that we can get to the people. That's amazing. Um, so before we got started on the call, I told you that I'll be 35 next month. I'm very yeah. excited about being 35. I look 23. Thank God for drinking <laughs> a lot of water. Yes. Um, yes. I know so many women who are about to turn 35 and they are for lack of a better word, scared shitless because it seems like you're going to like this next phase of your life where it's it feels like it's the end of like being young, but the beginning of like being mature and, and you know, yeah. you're on the bridge of success. And one thing that you champion is women over 35. You started this new, you know, part of your life, this new part of your career at 35. Five years later, you're thriving and striving and doing great things. What would you tell someone whether they're about to be 35, they're going to be 30, 25, 40, 50, you know, those, those pinnacle ages. What would you tell someone who thinks that they're running out of time? And what does time look like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I have never felt so good than after I turned 40. <laughs> like, it's so good over this, on this side of things. That's why I try to tell folks, like, it is so good on this side of things. I think that there's so much anxiety that we feel in our 30s. There's so much uncertainty that we feel between our 20s and our 30s, where when you hit 40 often, um, perspective changes, um, priorities change, your, your, the givingness that you had of fucks changes, right? You just, it's just a different feeling. And I would just encourage younger and what we call honeys in training to to enjoy the space that you're in right and also just be focused on being the best you in the moment right and pursuing whatever your desires are in the moment one of the big things that I champion is black women pursuing their desires and I mean desires broadly right Mm -hmm. um and allowing those things to change at 36 they're not the same as they were at 24 and that's okay right and kind of not allowing the world to dictate what we should want how we should feel um what our lives should look like I the one thing that also helped me in this move at 35 was I started to do a lot of self-work um and started to uh interrogate a lot of childhood trauma a lot of uh, narratives that I was telling myself a lot of bullshit a lot of societal norms that weren't serving me and so I also think that it's always a great time to be doing that work it's lifelong work 
but it helps us to settle into and be happy in the space that we are in the moment, right? And it helps us to be more in charge and in career in charge of the things that we want, right? And not allowing just the world to tell us what we want. So I would just encourage the self-work to get deep into that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 so good over here. And I just wish that uh, for, for, for all Black women to get on this other side, because it's good over here. Oh, I love that. I'm a honey in training, so that that, <laughs> that feels that feels good to know. Yeah. Um, so we talked about honey in training. What is honey child? Like that's just like it's so black, honey child. <laughs> how how when you say honey child is like honey child, like honey child, like what's it's all of those. It's all, all of those. those. It's it's how we are, right? Like we are we can make one statement mean 10 different things. Right. Um, and that's how, that's kind of how I feel about honey child. Uh, it is, it came out of just a need of one wanting to see more content that I, I think there's some fantastic black stories happening. Um, but I wanted to see some with some, some older folks like myself who are just having different conversations, but not just stories that center honeys, but also stories by honeys. I feel like coming into the game at 35, I had a different level of experience and life, life experience that helped me to move the way that I moved. I really actually attribute my age and what I was experienced prior to coming to Hollywood being an asset and my ability to move so fast. And I feel like also like not thinking about things, not growing up in the business and having different perspectives also helps me to move different. Cause when shit don't make sense, I'm like, that don't make sense. There's gotta be another way. And I find another way. Uh, so I want to be able to empower additional honeys like that to tell their stories, whether it is a YA story. Maybe the, I would love to see what a honey's version of a euphoria looks like. Right. Ooh, I would love yeah. to see a honey's version of uh, a Ted Lasso. Like it doesn't have to necessarily center us, but I want to be able to be in support and service of other honeys telling the stories that are burning inside of them. So we are an independent production company. We operate across audio, digital, TV, film. We want to get into events as well. Um, we, so we have a slate of projects that we're taking out into the Hollywood marketplace, film and TV. And then we are also looking, looking at ways that we can develop and be telling stories ongoing immediately through audio, through digital, through social media, et cetera. Um, so I'm really, really excited. It's an all Black woman team that we are running this thing, um, small but mighty. Um, and really, really just excited about the stories that are going to be coming, coming forth. What is your biggest hope um, in ways that Honey Child will change the industry? Um, I'm more on just, I'm more excited about helping Black women get free. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we talk about Honey Child is like, for me, it's not just us seeing on screen, but like, we also want to walk the walk, <laughs> like as the Black women who work for Honey Child, the Black women we work with through Honey Child, like, I just want to see Black women get free. Um, the industry is going to be the industry, let's mm -hmm. be honest. You know, like, yes, I want to see more Black women uh, penetrate the industry, but I also know that it's racist, it's sexist, it's homophobic, it's all these things. Um, so I'd be more excited about Black women getting freed through our work than anything else. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I've worked, I work in the entertainment industry and I've worked in, you know, programs where Black women have sat in the writer's room, they shadow different people. So I'm excited to see, you know, where your company is going to go, the products that you're going to work on. 
I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have, we're so tied to timelines and time constructs and it's really just a, it's a construct. It's not really a thing that you forget that there's so much success. There's so much life ahead of you than there is behind you. You have to make the best of it. So to be able to tell those stories, you know, for somebody that's single, like, oh, I'm 35 and single, oh, I'm 25 and single, your whole life can change in a year. That doesn't mean anything. Oh, life can change months. Yes. I just want us to be free um, and to really be able to to go after and achieve our desires, whatever those might be. Um, Yeah. So the next question I have for you is, um, why is pivoting right where you're at important? You you are the poster child for pivoting and the power <laughs> of it. Um, yeah. why, why do you think it's important and just like starting where you're at? You don't, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. There's this like slight plan. You're going to move across the country. You should probably have a plan. But how can you like get those wheels starting to, to pivot and do something else? I mean, I think part of it's like life's too short. Um, I also you know, feel like it's interesting because I've had a lot of quote unquote careers and all of them have aided me to where I'm at in this point in this journey. Right. Um, They seemed like they weren't at the time. People thought I was all over the place at the time, but they now have all come full circle in aiding me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just think it's important to be happy. One, (laughs) to not stay in places and spaces and lots in life that don't serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's also important to not care what people think. It's harder said than done. But I think that if we're talking about really trying to get free, if we're talking about really um, pursuing our desires and not what the world wants for us, I think that it's important to really be honest about the things that we want and honest about those things may change. Mm-hmm. I have no problem trying something and it not working because, um, you know, I, I just classify failure differently. I look at it differently. Like, I'm like, okay, I tried it. It didn't work. What's next? (laughs) You know, I have no problem doing that either. So I think part of that is just who I am, but also knowing that like, it's not the end of the world. Something didn't work. So what? Right. Like really putting things into perspective has helped me as well. That was actually my next question was going to be, how has failing helped you? How has it helped you move your purpose forward? But you answered that so eloquently. So, (laughs) I mean, I think Failure in the word knows those are the two most powerful things that can change your life. You just got to keep edging forward. Um, so, and, you know, we talk about, I know so many Black brides think about like Ava DuVernay. She's another one who changed her career at like 32 yeah. or 33. She went from a publicist to, you know, being a director, a writer, producer, all these great things. Yes. How do you sharpen your skill set and kind of cut through and, you know, cut through the long list of like, all of these like new black creatives. How do you stand out aside from, you know, when you're doing your work, you're not like, I want to stand out from everybody else, but how do you keep your work like authentic to your voice um, and kind of sharpen your skill set in the process? Yeah, I mean, I'm very much, I think it's really important for us as craftspeople, particularly if you think you, like, I think that I'm in service of the black audience, right? So I want to make sure that I'm able to give them the best of me at any any point in time. So for that, I, you know, I'm, I still take classes. I'm in two writers groups. Like I really think the work is the most important thing and trying to get better at the work on a daily basis is one of my uh, goals. Um, But in terms of standing out, I'm very specific on who I'm serving. You know, even Honey Child is a niche audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, there's a world where we would expand upon that niche in terms of, you know, honeys in training or, you know, male honeys or whatever the case is. 
But right now I'm just being very um, conscientious and intentional about the stories and the core that I want to serve. Um, so I think that kind of helps to help me stand out. Uh, but also like, um, not really being concerned with that. I mean, that's kind of what you said, but like, you know, I'm, I, I do my work and I am of service to the community and I live my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything else that's gravy, but like, again, part of the work for me is also for me to get free. I don't want to just talk about it or see it on screen. I'm also trying to get free. So like, I'm trying to live a very full life. I'm trying to lead with pleasure and rest. Those are the things that are important to me. Um, so I think I move a little different in that way um, from a Hollywood standard, even though I'm not sure if there's Hollywood standards for black creators, but yeah, like I, I'm about living my life, doing great work <laughs> and being of service. That's awesome. Um, so the next question I have for you. So you're celebrating two milestones this year. You have the 15th anniversary of the message, hundred life lessons from hip hop's greatest songs. And then you have the 10th anniversary of the create daily. Um, how do you balance like multiple interests and gifts? Like you have, multiple interests, you like different things. How do you balance that and, and kind of share them with the world? Yeah, that's a great question. And when I think about the message, that was my one of my first books. And the fact that it's turning 15 is wild to me. Like that's one of the things that I have to still process, like what that means and what that book did for me. Um, but you know, what was the question again? The question is, how do you balance? Most oh, balance. Oh, it's interesting because I'm definitely a Jill of many trades. Uh, but my father, he used to tell me, particularly around the time that I was trying to make the transition to screenwriting, he was like, the minute you focus, you're going to be unstoppable. And I did have to take a step back and really just focus on writing um, at the start of things in order to really, one, get a handle on my craft, two, um, pivot and position myself and transition more successfully. Um, and so I think there are moments where you have to like drill down and focus on one thing and then you can add upon those. So now I'm in the position where I can add directing, I've added directing, I'm, I've added producing, but still I'm very folk. I'm very clear on my, I lead with writing. I am a writer from top to bottom, that is where everything, from which everything springs. And then I can add on top of that. Um, I also think though, that it's about prioritizing and having a, the purpose helps with that, right? So if my purpose is to tell stories that center black people, especially black women, and make sure those stories get to the people, that helps to keep me focused on even the things that I add on, how they work in tandem with each other. Um, and then you just have to say no, I think also is something that I'm doing more and more of, of things that either I don't have the bandwidth for or just don't fit into the space that I'm creating. So when you go into a room and you're pitching a, a, a movie or a film or a TV show, it's in a, you know, an executive asks you, okay, Felicia, what makes, why do you, one, why do you want to tell these stories about Black people, specifically Black women? But what makes like Black women so special? Like, why are their stories important? Yeah. Um, well, I hope I'm not pitching nobody. I got to explain that too. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing, right? So when I think about honeys in particular, like they're, 
honeys are have incredible cultural crap capital, right? Like I just thought about Mary J. Blige at the um Super Bowl show, right? I thought about Nisi Nash on the cover of Essence Making History. I thought about Stacey Abrams running for governor. I thought about Beyonce, who is like top honey. When Beyonce turned 40, I was like, oh, it's a wrap for everybody. <laughs> like <Yeah>. honeys <laughs> are <laughs> are it, right? So I think about the cultural capital and how they move things, right? And I also think about their influence, right, within, yes, a global influence, but also a very micro influence in their homes, right? And I also think about their spending ability, right? Black women have incredible spending power, right? So you match cultural capital with cultural influence, influence in the home and spending, like that's that's a dream to marketers in terms of audience. That's a dream. There's not many who fit all of those boxes, mm. right? Black women do. So that's why I'm like, oh yeah. But then also in my life, it's just about the impact that Black women have had on my life. They have held me down. Um, they are my circle, my village. I surround myself with Black women. Um, so I also you know, from a very personal level, feel the importance of Black women. But from a, a marketing and business standpoint, like, like it, just, <laughs> it just makes sense. Yes. Um, so another last question I have for you, what are some words to live by? What are some affirmations that you use and tell yourself to breathe life into yourself when you feel like I'm just through or I just need some extra motivation? Um, that's interesting. I don't know if I use affirmations as much as I may rest. I may, um, I do a lot of self-care things like yoga and hiking and therapy and journaling. And, um, but I do think that, uh, I truly believe that I have a purpose that is bigger than this business. So I also say that this business is not my source. Uh, so that helps me to move too, because I don't operate in fear in that way of thinking that they're going to take my source from me because it's not my source to be in the, in the first place. Um, sometimes I also think to myself, they could never win people. (laughs) (laughs) That helps me a lot. Um, so that's one that I use. Um, but yeah, I really just think about my purpose and feeling like it's bigger than a business. Um, and also that I walk in my purpose every day and, and it does not have to do, and it does have, does not have anything to do with Hollywood. Like Hollywood can be a part of the purpose, but I can still walk in my purpose every day without Hollywood. And that also helps me when the business is acting like the business can act. So the last question I have for you is you have done so much over the last two decades from being a cultural writer, you know, being an author, TV writer, producer, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And where where can we like find you? Like five years from now. Oh, gonna, I'm gonna be on the beach semi-retired. Like <laughs> <laughs> I will still be telling stories on my own terms, but I will be semi-retired is one thing that I'm looking to do. I'm tired. Um <laughs> worked really hard for close to 25 years. Um, so that's one thing. And that's even how we're building Honey Child to be. Uh, sustainable and not have to be this big empire, but be mighty um, and intentional with the work that we do so that we can rest and we can be free 
and we can have pleasure-led lives. Like that's also how we're building Honey Child. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm gonna be. I love that. So for our listeners, as we wrap up our interview, where can we find you? Um, I know we can watch Really Love on Netflix. Uh, what other yes. of your projects can we watch? What can we look forward to? Absolutely. So you can listen to all of season one of Child Please, our podcast, where it's me and my friend Ivy, who's another honey, just talking shit about everything from religion to finances, things that, you know, we're not supposed to talk about in public. Um, you can listen to any play, anywhere you listen to podcasts or at honey-child.com honey-child.com um you can also watch a uh, tender movie my first directing um short film at, at tendermovie.com and you can visit us on ig at it's honey child and myself at felicia pride awesome well felicia it's been a pleasure chatting with you you are a dynamic this was um, such a great interview. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I think I, I'm left inspired. You know, you are a black woman doing the damn thing. And you just remind us that you just got to keep on living as my mama says. You just never know what, what, what the end will be. And don't limit yourself and live a um, pleasure filled life and do what you want to do and do it and dance to the beat of your own drum. So absolutely. Absolutely. You know, You've given me so much life today. For my listeners, make sure you listen, like, and subscribe to One More Minute. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Convos with Mo featuring the fabulous and amazing Felicia Pratt with this beautiful pink hair. I'm like, Nazarite. Uh, make me want to cut, you know, color my hair pink. Uh, make sure that you, um, hopefully I, you got some Mo from today's interview. Uh, make sure you follow me on Instagram at Monique and Mitchell. Please listen, like, and subscribe. We'll be back next week for another new episode of One Mo Minute.